Welcome to The Rate Debate, a lively discussion from the champions of Australian fixed income, featuring Darren Langer and Chris Rands from Nico Asset Management. Welcome to Episode 2 of The Rate Debate, and thanks for joining us. I'm Darren Langer, Senior Portfolio Manager at Nico Asset Management, and with me is my Co-Portfolio Manager, Chris Rands. He brings the facts, I bring the opinions. Hello, everyone. It's good to be here again. It's Tuesday, 3rd of March, and we've just seen the RBA cut the cash rate by 25 basis points to 0.5%. This didn't come as a huge surprise given that it had been telegraphed um, by the government and by the RBA in the days preceding this um, meeting. At the meeting, the RBA indicated that this is support the economy through likely damage caused by the COVID-19 outbreak, viral outbreak. So, Chris... Given that they didn't seem worried a week ago that this was going to be a major impact on the economy, are they just pandering to equity markets or or do we really believe this interest rate cut is likely to have some cushioning effect on the real economy? And do we think the government is now likely to follow through with a fiscal package to help some of those industries that are directly impacted? Yeah, so on the RBA's response to what's going on in the market at the moment, I think they have pandered a bit to the equity market. If we think back even eight days ago, 14 days ago, most governments around the world were trying to temper the response to the coronavirus outbreak. But now we've seen the equity market fall about 11% over the week and that really got them into action. If you read the RBA statement today, they actually said in there that the coronavirus outbreak overseas is having a significant effect on the Australian economy, particularly in the education and travel sectors. That's true, but again, before the equity market was falling, that didn't seem to be the message that they were telling us. And in fact, I think if you were to rewrite this statement, you might say the coronavirus outbreak is having a significant effect on the equity market rather than the real economy so far. When we look forward and we think about what the RBA is doing, will it have an impact? I think that's really hard to tell at the moment. I don't quite understand what rates are going to do here for the real economy. If we think about the sectors that it's hurting, education and travel, which the RBA point out, rate cuts certainly don't get you travelling and they, they won't get you back into school if, if that's the reason that it's being heard. And actually the reason it's being heard is because Chinese travellers and students aren't coming to Australia at the moment. Now, a rate cut doesn't help that whatsoever. So the sectors that are really hurting are probably not going to get too much love from what we've seen. If we look at the housing sector at the moment, though, property prices are already running very hard. We saw property prices yesterday um, up another 1.5%. They're basically 2% off their all-time highs, and and Sydney houses have put in about 13% year-on-year. So the effect there will probably be positive, but how that helps those other sectors is a little bit unknown. So from the RBA's perspective, they're giving a little bit of help, but it's not quite certain what it's actually going to do. Those are really just my feelings of of what we're going to see, maybe what you think the impact will be as well. Yeah, it's really hard to see how an interest rate cut is going to help, particularly if we end up in a situation where people are um, unable to go to work, um, they're stuck in their homes, um, you have less travelling, things like that. An interest rate cut really isn't going to help where you have a, a massive drop in demand because it's not a drop in demand because people don't want to buy things. It's a drop in demand because they can't get out there and buy things. It would seem to me that if it, we don't have some sort of fiscal response from the government along with this, that any benefits that the RBA may provide markets initially are going to fade very quickly um, as people realise that it's not really getting to the root of the problem. I guess the the flip side of all of this is to say if the RBA does stop the equity market falling too quickly, which 
the central bank action seems to have at least slowed the declines at the moment. Perhaps there is some positive to come out of it from the sentiment side, but that's kind of a little bit less direct than saying it's going to impact some sector of the economy. And we've also not seen the government really say that they're going to do anything on the fiscal side yet. So, so that could be slow to eventuate as well. So, Chris, we're seeing um, the COVID-19 outbreak um, starting to spread quite rapidly across the globe. At the moment, we don't have a vaccine. The main way of slowing it down seems to have been through trying to contain the virus. Given that we've also heard from the, the Fed, the ECB, Bank of Japan and quite a few other central banks that they're willing to provide support if they believe it's needed, would the RBA have actually been better off waiting for the other major central banks to have actually moved before uh, stepping in and trying to support things? I don't think that they necessarily probably should have waited here. I think if all the central banks are going to be easing, it's essentially lining them up based on their decision timelines. The equity market only started falling last week, so given the RBA was first up, given they meet the first Tuesday of every month, that probably just put them in first line to act. I do think we'll see a few others follow suit, so... You know, I don't think it's going to be them alone. It's just the fact that their meeting was up first caused them to move. If most of those central banks are easing, I don't think the RBA could have gotten away from from not doing anything because our equity market probably wouldn't have liked that that much. And that, to my feeling, is what they were responding to. Yeah, but you've you've seen, um, you know, the Bank of Korea last week, um, arguably they're in the firing line uh, a lot more than what we are at the moment, and they they chose not to ease. You know, it it seems to have been only since um, Powell came out um, from the Fed on the weekend and said, you know, we look like we have a problem. Um, Suddenly the urgency to ease has come about, you know, based on that. I don't know. It just seems to be a, a panic reaction um, rather than a well thought out strategy of you know how best to defuse this going forward. And maybe you know if they had have at least sat back and said you know we'll wait and see what the other major central banks do, they might have actually got a better outcome rather than just trying to stop the world on their own. Yeah, I think that could be true, except for the fact that. My kind of feeling here is if the Fed and if the BOJ didn't follow through on that promise, we would just see the equity markets falling again, in which case the RBA would then again be the first person up in line in that circumstance. So yes, they probably could have waited if they really wanted to, but I don't think that the central bank action is really lining up that way for them. So do we think again that this is maybe just another example of where uh, governments are are leaving central banks to do all the heavy lifting in an economy and uh, not following through with a fiscal response, which again, arguably in this instance, uh, would have a far greater impact than monetary policy ever could? Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. And when I look at the why that occurs is I just think it's far easier for these central banks to push rate cuts through rather than governments to agree how they're going to respond to these actions. So it seems to be that the central bankers act first and then we'll figure out what we're getting on the fiscal side later. So from what you're um, seeing in terms of analysis on the virus's spread, are we still believing that containment is a strategy that's going to work through major markets? I mean, it worked well in China reasonably well in China because they were able to shut down entire cities. Do we really believe the West is going to put up with that kind of restrictions? And, um, you know, is it inevitable that this is likely to spread and cause further panic and, and sort of disruption within major economies? I think we'll see it continue to spread across different countries uh, and the containment really stop working as it comes through the West. Some of the actions that that China took, I'm not certain whether they can be used in the West or not. 
shutting down entire locations probably is not that likely. I recently travelled to Melbourne. If I think of that, the government telling me that I can't travel to Melbourne, I'm not sure how people in the West would really deal with that. So this idea of a containment working effectively in Australia or in the US, I don't think it'll be quite as good as in China, which would mean that it probably will continue to spread and we will see the headlines that other countries are starting to pick it up. So I go go back to my point then, have the central banks gone too early? You know, if the worst is yet to come, what else do they have in their toolkit to uh, try and, you know, keep things on track? Or, or is this sort of, uh, you know, headed off up front and hope for the best? It does feel like go early and, and go hard and try and get in front of it before it can become an issue. But again, this is not something that we really see that often and kind of have much data to to look backwards and say here's what's going to happen here's how they could deal with it It, it's a relatively rare event it's spreading quickly they seem to be just be trying to do what they can and for central bankers doing what they can seems to be cut rates maybe separately the other idea that seems to come out of this when we look around i've seen a few people say well you cut early rates fall and then you put it back up you know what are the chances that they can actually put it back up in the future Highly unlikely, I would say, given past uh, history. We haven't seen a lot of, uh, you know, central banks willing to put up rates when they have the markets quite often punish them for it. So you have to be very sceptical about the chance of any rate cuts being taken back quickly or easily, given you know, the way markets behave. Earlier this month, uh, we released our uh, 2020 Outlook paper, which in hindsight, uh, the virus has now well and truly uh, derailed. Given um, some of the things you were looking at in that paper, Chris, the RBA has talked about their expectations is that this is a temporary phenomenon and that ultimately the economy will be getting back on track and we go on merrily on our way. Do you think that's actually likely? And given what we were starting to see, you know, the beginnings of a, a recovery in, in the global economy, what parts of your outlook do you think are likely to um, come to fruition if the RBA is right? Yeah, so the outlook very quickly became out of date, had kind of three, I guess, big things sitting behind it. Two of those, I think, still are in place. So, so that is housing and inflation. So in the housing market, we're still seeing very strong figures come through. These additional rate cuts are probably going to make it more likely that house prices continue to run and and all those housing-sensitive parts of the economy start to pick up. So I think sitting behind this this idea that housing is going to get better from here is probably still true. The second thing that really was sitting behind that as well was that inflation looked like it was going to get a bit better from last year. Given the Aussie dollars falling, housing's picking up, I think there still is some case for that to occur, but it'll probably be a little bit longer to, to potentially show up because oil price is, is falling. So a lot of that is is still sitting there in my opinion. And, and the third thing that we were really looking at is the unknown. So at that point in time when we wrote this, it was late December, we were looking at fires, we we're looking at the coronavirus, we we're looking at a war with Iran. There are all these things sitting there where you were just sitting back and thinking, you know, how the hell am I meant to deal with this? At the time, the view was that they probably wouldn't quite get to the point that's going to knock us off track. Obviously, that was pretty poor thinking on the coronavirus because it has very quickly knocked this off track. But for the RBA, they're probably still looking at some of those things that that I started to see at the beginning of the year and think that they're still sitting here. If you look in the RBA statement, they actually said prior to the outbreak, there were signs that the slowdown in the global economy that started in 2018 was coming to an end. And on top of that, they say once the coronavirus is contained, the Australian economy is expected to return to an improving trend. So they still seem to be happy to think that eventually it's going to get better. 
But as long as this unknown overhangs it, I don't think that they're going to be able to realise that expectation because sentiment's going to be so poor. Yeah, it's quite interesting too because um, normally an event like this is more of a supply shock um, than a demand shock, at least initially. You've taken out probably the you know the second largest economy in the world um, and, and for Australia, you know, something that's more than 50% of our trade. But equally, you're ending up with a demand shock as well. So the, the impact on inflation is really difficult to gauge. You know, I agree that most likely the currency um, and... Um, some of the other factors should keep inflation relatively higher than it's been, but we still don't really know what the demand impact's likely to be. So it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, if we do end up with a, a higher than expected inflation, how the RBA is going to react to that, given that that's been their um, main mode of operation for, for such a long time. But then you've got all these other factors around that's now clouding that outlook. I think, though, for the RBA that, the small positive here at least is when we were saying inflation was likely picking up, we were expecting it to, to rise into the lower end of their their 2 to 3% inflation target. While we're probably more positive on inflation, even if those things come to fruition, it's it's hard to see inflation really running into the threes or fours that would that will want to get them to hike. So perhaps this actually helps them achieve their inflation target over the medium term, probably not how they wanted to get there, but I don't have the feeling that it's going to be high enough to really make them want to hike. Separately, the other thing that that probably feeds into this is Governor Lowe had actually mentioned a couple of times that they were weighing up the pros and cons of, of lower rates. So while we constantly push for lower and lower rates to, to keep the equity market happy, to, to take house prices higher, it is also important to remember that the low rates can have side effects. And prior to this statement, the RBA was trying to point that out. But given now that the equity market's fallen, they seem to have chucked that straight out the window. So it does seem that those side effects are valid as long as risk prices aren't falling aggressively. Yeah, I, I guess something that too that sits in the back of my mind is you, you talk about the unknowns. We've now pretty much chewed up all of our... Uh, ability to fight unknowns you know we've had bushfires we've now had coronavirus if we get a third left field event that no one's anticipating because you can't anticipate left field events you know what do we do where does the rba go from here where does the government go from here perhaps in that environment it it does fall kind of stronger on the government to take a, a bigger stance typically in my opinion you generally see big fiscal responses when it is a true shock to the economy so perhaps that third event occurring would be a big enough shock to knock the economy and actually make them do some fiscal policy. But at the moment, I really think the market would probably be saying, just do some QE and buy the risk assets yourself. I personally can't see the government stomaching doing too much more. Um, they've been adamant of trying to maintain surpluses and, and be fiscally responsible. So, you know, quantitative easing would seem to be the logical next step. We had contemplated this being possible in 2021 when we eventually went through another slowdown again given the trajectory we've been on for the last few years but bringing it forward uh, it'll be very interesting to see how the RBA will handle that and what it's likely to do to markets. On the back of that what I think we've been seeing over the past kind of six to 12 months as the market comes to the realisation that interest rates are going to remain low for quite a long time is that they've been saying that the trade that you should be taking in this environment is to buy credit, to buy spread. Anything with additional yield is what you should have in your portfolios to make sure that you're getting a a pickup over governments. Maybe we can talk about a little bit about what that introduces, the risk that is, the moral hazard of what doing that can entail. Yeah, I've been fairly vocal 
on that point. To me, risk has become very one-sided. Most people are quite happy to take the excess returns, load up on risky assets, but when we have events like the last few days where risk assets come off rapidly, suddenly the first thing they do is come cap in hand to the uh, central bank and say, save us. So risk has become extraordinarily one-sided. Rather than having more less risky portfolios, um, we just seem to put the pedal down and load up on risk and then expect someone to bail us out. That seems to have been the case since the global financial crisis in, in 2008 and even before that. How do we stop that behaviour, Chris? Well, it's going to be hard to stop as long as central bankers keep giving them cuts when they need them. The reason that this idea, I guess, has, has frustrated me so much is that quite often when I read and when I hear what people saying, they'll say things like, you have to own credit, you have to own equities instead of bonds because, because yields are so low that they're going to outperform. I think this really overlooks the simple fact of the information that interest rates are trying to give you. So to say interest rates are low, therefore you must buy something else, really overlooks the fact that interest rates are low because the economy is struggling. The economy is weak. It needs the low rates to support it. So every time that risk assets do poorly, it seems to be that interest rates go another leg lower to support the economy and help ensure that we don't ever suffer any losses. So I don't actually know when or how it finishes or what the catalyst will be, but it does feel like every time equities or house prices or whatever it is comes under stress, you, you are safe to assume that a central bank will be there to add support. Yeah, I think it's been a, a chicken and egg, you know, one keeps chasing the other down, but we've seen some evidence, um, particularly in Europe, where um, negative interest rate policies and not so much quantitative easing, but definitely really low um, negative rates has actually starting to be unwound. So, you know, it begs the question of where the RBA goes from here. They've already said they don't want negative interest rates, but it doesn't seem to leave them much room <laughs> to, to move um, without following that policy, either through quantitative easing or directly keeping the cash rate below zero. Yeah, so the, the RBA has effectively said that, you know, they think the lower bound of interest rates, so that the point at which they'll stop cutting is 0.25%. I think the closer we get to that mark, again, the closer it becomes that that's probably not the line in the sand that they're willing to draw. I wrote some research kind of 12 to 18 months ago showing that if you if you look at the news coming out of the central banks, out of some of the research houses, what they're saying is that the, the zero lower bound is a construct created by markets themselves. The only reason we stop at zero is because that's the line in the sand that we've drawn for ourselves. And in fact, we should be able to push straight through that. So my feeling is that while the RBA doesn't want to go down to that level, if push comes to shove, they'll probably be happy to try it. More specifically, if we look at this in the short term, the market's probably going to start forecasting quantitative easing in Australia pretty soon. So maybe you can discuss a little bit what you think that would look like for Australia. Yeah, there's been quite a bit of speculation that um, this meet would involve buying credit risky assets and some semi-government bonds as well as government bonds. We think it's highly unlikely that credit assets would be part of the, the program. The RBA has absolutely no tolerance for credit risk whatsoever. And given the state that the economy will be in for them to do quantitative easing, obviously increases the, the likelihood of corporate failures. The reason credit behaves a little bit like equity is that the higher the risk of default, the more equity-like those bonds become. So it's very unlikely to see the RBA dip its toe in the water and buy credit or RMBS paper. More likely they'll support the market by helping the state 
bonds. Um, so we'll see them buying semi-government bonds and by buying government bonds. What will the RBA do next month? My guess is that uh, there'll be no further change in rates um, if equity markets behave themselves and we don't see any significant deterioration in employment um, and some of the other you know, main economy indicators. What's your thoughts, Chris? My feeling at the moment is the same thing, although I think at the moment to say if the equity market behaves itself feels like a little bit of a stretch, so perhaps this should be an idea that we, we think more about and look at what could occur. But as the other central banks come into ease, I think that's going to give the RBA a little bit of time to sit on their hands and think about what's coming next. I guess if the RBA does ease one more time, um, that issue of quantitative easing is going to be a, a bigger discussion next time we meet. Yeah. That's it for this month. If you have any feedback or questions, feel free to email us at theratedebate at nicoam.com and we will look to cover them in our upcoming episodes. We'll include a copy of Chris's Outlook paper and a number of other pieces in the show notes, which you can find at nicoam.com.au forward slash the rate debate. Tune in next month when we'll discuss the next RBA meeting and any other important economic events over the month. This podcast was prepared by Nico AM Limited, ABN 9900337625256 AFSL number 237563. It is of a general nature only and does not constitute personal advice or an offer of any financial product. It does not take into account the objectives of financial situation or needs of any individual. Any references to particular securities or sectors are for illustrative purposes only and this is not a recommendation. Any economic or market forecasts are not guaranteed.